All right. Another reading of scriptures um, for you this morning from Matthew 1 through 17. And Pastor Howard, um, you owe me one. <clears throat> Especially with those orange shoes. You got you to gotta owe me one. I love that. Did that have anything to do with the game last night? Nothing at all. Okay. <laughs> Matthew 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. And Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jehoniah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to, the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation, I messed up on deportation after all that. <laughs> <laughs> And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of she- Shealtiel, and Shealtiel was the and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan. And Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon were 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And last night we got home from the ACC championship game. Um, I, I said, Kelly, can I wear my jersey to church? And she was like, you know, Howard, you've said as a pastor of church that we're politically anonymous, and so you can't make a big deal about your school and all that. So I didn't wear my jersey this morning. See the shoes? Um, she didn't say anything about shoes. Sorry, it was an accident. I'm trying hard to move on. Don't don't start. It's an occupational hazard to go to a game like that. Because I was screaming and then the guy in front of me started starting stuff and I could I got into a tangle and anyway. At Christmas gatherings, <laughs> I'm trying to move on. Y'all let me move on. Quit being like that. 
I have to preach. At Christmas gatherings, as well as with Thanksgiving, there are often three, uh, often three groups of conversations, if your family is like mine. The adult conversation, the general conversation, and if you're a child, the, the kids' conversation. The first of which, the adult conversation, not necessarily when you reach 18, because sometimes even when you're 39, you may not, may not so kindly be asked to leave or to mind your own business or, uh, or, or hush your mouth or go on or worse, the whole place goes quiet at your words or questions and everyone just sort of looks at you and waits with this, you still haven't learned, boy? This is the grown folks table. This is the growner folks conversation. And in those adult conversations, there are some distinctions. Sometimes there's joking and laughing, remembering and retelling stories. Sometimes these conversations are instructional and, and wisdom dropping. And sometimes they whisper. They have a whisper overtone. And things get serious and I start looking down at the ground in remembrance and revelation and disclosure and discovery. Whispers. Whispers of secrets and unsureties and cover-ups and especially in, in some of our southern black families, whispers about family members and genealogies and, and who was so-and-so's real daddy and, and real brother and sisters and, and whether this one or that one really were married and, and how many times and, and whispers of who got pregnant and who lost a child and who was abused and violated and who was left out and forgotten. Whispers. Whispers of shame. Whispers of sin and, and hurtful secrets. Whispers of imperfection and failure and, and stains on the family pedigree of, of trouble in and about the family. So it is with all of our families in some way or another or us as individuals within families where they're spoken or internalized whispers of shame. And so even here in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus. That, that the mention of almost every name here in this passage, there are whispers, a, a razor's edge appearance of, of shameful behavior and, and stymieing situations and, and stated family pedigree and, and mess all the way up to Jesus. And it is at the mention of his name, of his place in this line of messed up people that as the Messiah, these and hopefully our Family whispers of shame will be turned into shouts of joy. In a small southern city like I grew up in Charleston, people know each other over the long haul. And sometimes it's good when you talk about who your daddy is. I remember going to a bookstore in Hilton Head and and I was like, yeah, my dad's Alfonso Brown. The guy was like, really? His book isn't here. I know him. Blah, blah. And I was feeling proud. Sometimes it ain't too good. You could just ask my brother Terrence. My dad taught band in the public school for years, and, and, and he told Terrence, don't go to these little you know, inner city spots and, and hang out. And, and he and his friends went and hung out there, and things got heated for one reason or another, probably over some girl or something. 
And one of these evil dudes was like, that's Mr. Brown's son. Let's get him, right? And Terrence said they, they ran out the back door into the alley. And when he looked back, the alley was black and brown, not with night, but with faces. It was an African-American storm cloud after them. His own words. They hopped the fence and got away to only get to Dad's old Pontiac Grand Prix that he and his friends had piled in to get down there. And of course, Daddy's old car wouldn't start. They ran as far as they could until things cooled off and went back for the car that you had to spray something on the carburetor with that stuff to get it started. But anyway, we must ask in this life, and it comes up so much more at holidays, who's your daddy? Who's your mama? Who's your family? And how does that make your life run? With fear, or how does it stall you and make your life hard? What does your genealogy say about you? How has and does what you are descended from make you or ache you? How have the actions and character of your upbringing affected you, and how and who and why you do what you do in your career and for your children in your own person? Among all the good things that we can muster up, there are dark places and numb places and secrets and ambiguities and pain and fear. There are whispers of shame that, that are not only in your family before you, but now in you that have come to define and condemn you and even control you and, and unfortunately even have that stuff passed on to your children. I often look at my sons and almost come to tears as I think about how my sordid issues will weigh upon them and may become their burden and by extension how my issues will become the issues of, of the community I'm a part of even as the pastor of this church. What we must realize in all of this is that outside of our bloodlines we are all part of one big messed up genealogy called the human race. One big line of good and bad and worse and better humanity and our associations and relationships shout with triumph but often whisper the shame. As we explore this passage this morning, the beginning chapter of Matthew, we see Jesus coming, born as a baby, and in doing so, and integrating, incarnating himself into the fabric of humanity, joining in the genealogy of humankind, acquainting himself, coming to live with us like our cousin and brother, you know, with all of us as God and man with the grief and issues of us all, and by his love and power, he has come to take down and redeem and reign over and restore what makes and breaks us. For our weak and wanting genealogy, we need his pedigree. We need his perfection and we need his promise. We see here in the genealogy of Christ a people whose pedigree whispers with the shame of ambiguity. I mean, among the names you and I recognize are nobodies. No pomp, no circumstance, no respect. I mean, Pastor Georgia read all those names and it, none of them rung anything in you, right? It didn't even make sense. People mentioned in verses 13 through 15, I'm not going to repeat them all. People like the hardest word to say, she at the end of verse 12. I mean, think about it. 
If this dude were to enter the party, flat out, she had the L in the house. Whack. It means nothing. I mean, these are the kind of names you would not find on the cups at the kids' store or the Hallmark store. No, none of their girlfriends put tats of their names on their necks or on their ankles. I mean, the, the cross-references in my Bible at home are empty, nothing to reference these people. Not only in this genealogy, excuse me, I'm going to have a hard time saying that word the whole day. Are, there, are these nobodies? But in the scope of things worldwide, apart from the Bible world, these people are weaklings. They have no innate, well, awesomeness. Abraham, apart from the promise, a no man. David, a shepherd boy. And the kings after Josiah are, are powerless, figurehead, fake kings. They aren't really running things. They are knockoff versions of the real thing, bootleg kings. Many of them in exile. As a matter of fact, Jehoiakim in, in verse 12 was declared by the prophet Messiah, I mean prophet Jeremiah, to be childless. He did have children, but what is Jeremiah saying? Your children won't matter. It's almost as if they shouldn't have been born. They didn't do anything. And then these kids were all born in exile. With he and his father spending most of their years in prison, this is a royalty and kingship leadership that ends in bondage and and obscurity. Don't get the Bible wrong here. And, and, And if that didn't affect the pedigree of Christ's genealogy, what about the impurity we see in his genealogy? In the supposed king of the Jews are two Gentiles, which is not kosher. Pun intended. You don't come as God's chosen Messiah and have Rahab and Ruth all up, non-Jews, which would have been deemed dogs and untouchable and impure in your family. I'm the king of the Jews. I've come to save. I'm the Messiah. What about Rahab and Ruth? I know, man. Just let it go. I mean, you would at least try to hide it. But the fact that they are mentioned in particular as women even in in, in a genealogy implies that their presence was too strong to be ignored or covered up by the good names. The shame of them was all hanging out there. Everybody knew about it. We see in the pedigree of Christ's genealogy the dilemma of the human race. The risk in reality of being considered Unimportant. Imprisoned. Not to be worth much. Of not having dominion, of of not having equal dignity. Things that are God-created rights of human beings taken and destroyed and distressed. And yet there is where, this is where some of us live and are from among and living as a people who may be or or made to feel uh, second best or unimportant without any real power, not meaning much, oppressed, rejectable, left at times feeling like the mutts of humanity and the mutts of society and even the mutts in your own family. Some of you are unnoticed. People don't see you. You are support duty for everyone. You sometimes feel like nothing. You are the wind beneath everyone else's wings, and you never soar. I went to my 20th high school reunion. How long ago was that? Oh, gosh. I had it confused. I thought it was 10 years ago we was the last time he won an ACC championship game back in 91. That's 20 years. 
Oh, you know you get old when 10 and 20 are easily confused. But could you imagine somebody looking back at your yearbook, at the faces? Which one would you rather be? That kid, he was awful. He was terrible. He was a tyrant. Would you rather be that kid or would you rather be this kid? Who's that? Anyway, nobody wants to be the person that they say, who's that? What are they doing in a year? We don't know them. People look past many of you. No striking beauty, no honors, no talents that gain attention, no use to most people, nothing to brag about for anyone to brag about at family stuff. You sometimes come to your family reunions and stuff, and you're disappointment compared to everyone else. And some of us, you, are, you and I are driven to be, dep- to be depressed or overcompensate to be accepted. We lie and manipulate to feel like somebody. Or some feel in that powerless, no prowess, no effect, no anything, no ability to change or move anything. And I think about even, uh, you know, this, this discussion about single people in our church. And it's a shame that, that what's the definition of single people? Not married. Not something. What is that? And oftentimes, people, your word carries little or no weight because you don't have a husband or kids. Look past. Some are careerless. You aren't really doing anything. And you, or you're, you were the child who had to stay home when the money wasn't there. Many of you live in the grind and shame of not having the degrees like people around you. And some of you, you do have the degrees. But you're the family slacker, Right? You could never really get it going. You know, you're the fresh prince of Bel-Air, but it's no comedy. You're completely out of place, and nobody's laughing. You're a woman in a man's world, a minority in a majority world. We need the pedigree of Christ, the King of Kings. To, to lift us out of, of feelings and, and the reality of, of worthlessness to redeem us from reacting like those who have no hope. We need a pedigree of influence and value. We need a redeemer that gives us a purity and a power we can't give ourselves. But with that kingly pedigree, pedigree we also need his perfection. This genealogical list whispers of imperfections of immoral behavior and intolerable issues. I once asked a professor in in seminary, what if the Bible were done in movie form? Director's cut. Full graphic reality. What would it be rated? It'd be NC-17 at the very least. It'd be banned in this country. Why? We can look at the descendants of Jesus to answer that question. Father Abraham? Did you know he was the father of two nations? Oh, yeah. He has an illegitimate nation running around out there, too. Not just the Jews. He got a whole line of people. The father of two nations. Isaac, a favoring father, disliked his mama's boy, non-athletic son Jacob, and adored the hunter, muscle-bound, you know, uh, uh, captain of the football team type son Esau. 
Then his son Jacob, of course, because the way his daddy treated him, turned out to be the biggest liar and thief the Bible ever knew. I mean, he was a con artist, man. He's the one who had the tables tilted, and, and he knew how to make things work. Judah slept with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. That's a mess right there. Jake, I mean, uh, Rahab, prostitute. Ruth, a little two-forward woman. She just about laid up in a man's bed to get him to marry her. That is not biblical advice if you want to get married. Roll up in that dude's house and sleep at the foot of his bed. What? What's down there? It's a woman. Woohoo! David and Uriah's wife. David and Uriah's wife. Look, look how they talk about Bathsheba. She's mentioned as Uriah's wife because she was a victim of a high-class rape of her and murder of her husband. You think they cover up stuff now? This is before they could tweet anything. Folk just ended up married to somebody else, and their husband ended up dead. Oh, well, who knew? No paparazzi. But they had prophets. Rehoboam split the kingdom because he was an arrogant trust fund kid of the richest king Solomon. Ahaz and all the and all the sellout for money women, you know, for money and women and leftover backwashed power kings mentioned here. They all needed counseling. Most of them needed Lexapro and Adderall and Lithium and Wellbutrin and Prozac and Depakote. They, they would be entertainment TV fodder for the Mari and Jerry Springer show or Dr. Phil. And man, you would have a reality sleazy reality show on every TV channel. And join with the immoral behavior a result in intolerable, intolerable circumstances. They have a split kingdom because of a civil war. There's exile and, and all their land and money and homes are lost. Israel loses in the Old Testament. Did y'all know that? It ends by saying what? At, you know, during the exile, exile, they lost. They lost. Jesus' story picks up during Roman occupation. They lost. They've never been a great country ever again. I don't want to get into this. It could happen to any country, even this great United States. We ain't getting into that today. They are the Goldman Sachs and Wachovia of the Bible. We thought they were here to stay. And on and on, the list continues up to Christ, and even his story is a mess. A teenager gets pregnant and claims that God got her pregnant. Then her husband-to-be Joseph does what any good kid wouldn't do. He decides not to divorce Mary, who is obviously promiscuous, because he conveniently also sees an angel who confirms her story. A mess. Could you see them on the Mari show or something like that? God got me pregnant. Well, we have the test results right here in this envelope. And the father of Mary's baby is God. <laughs> that, that, that didn't come off too well. There is no doubt that our own genealogies and, and genetics and the circumstances that go along with, with them are dotted and blotted and stained with imperfections. Our families, y'all, y'all might not even know 
You might not find out till somebody's on their deathbed. Your families are replete with affairs and financial ruin and substance abuse and, and divorces. Some have never known their fathers or, or fathering, whether he is seen every day or hadn't been seen a day in his life. Some came from families who have bad financial habits and situations. There is nothing to pass on to you. Some of us live in a world where, hey, we're going to get the house. We're going to get some insurance, something. Some of us, you're going to get nothing but bills. Some were violated by family members, either molested physically or emotionally, exposed to things you should not have been. Daddy left stuff laying around or in the video machine. You're exposed to things and exploited in ways you should have never been. Some of you were just the performer, right? Like the monkey going to get money. Your parents showcased you. You were the advanced kid in the, in the special class, and, and you can play this instrument, and you can do this thing, and, and you were used and, and bragged upon for their vicarious success. And to add insult to injury, it was hushed and waxed over and never teased up, and we move on with these injuries and emptiness as if it's okay. And now you, yes, some of you in this room are the molester or abuser or trapped in a family curse or a cycle of sexual sin and deceit or unhelpful religious fanaticism or cynicism. We are the result, many of us, of parents who loved their jobs and success more than they loved us or loved our success more than they did you. We were born in a world that treated you bad or better because of your race or gender. And such prejudice was passed on to us and we battled to be made right. Some now cannot love their kids and wives because they were never taught and had it modeled to them. Some of you, you can't even accept love and intimacy. It's such a strange, weird thing to you. And what are you going to do with all of that? What are you going to do with all of that? I'll tell you what you're going to do. If you won't admit it to yourself, because this is what preachers do, Right? I'm going to tell you what y'all doing with all of that. Y'all out there trying to outrun or outwin or outachieve it with work. So you're, some of y'all so smart, you're going to outsmart or think deeply enough or positively enough to get it out of you and others of you just walking around life and family and friends mad as Hades with a toughness and a chip on your shoulder, sharp tongue and mean as a honey badger. Because you don't care. You, you, you waiting to just go off on somebody. Show me the octagonal cage, right? Because you're ready to because you're so mad because you hurt some of you do the emotional girdle remember that commercial it's a girdle Myrtle okay y'all too old young but anyway some of you bundle it up inside cover it over like a corpse of pain rotting in and out of our souls tr trying to hide living in, living in a denial or pretending everything is all right whitewashed lives of perfect families and schedules and behaviors you got it together nothing ever happened to you your family's okay look at us what a lie guess what with all of that you and I stink and reek and leak our family and genealogical issues, no matter how much on top of stink the order or mouth without wash, brushing your teeth or clean clothes on top of dirty drawers living we do, it will not go 
away. And that frustrates us more. The anger, the pain, the reproach, what happened or didn't happen to us as children dealt nags on inside and outside of us. You know, but you got to wonder then. You know, some of the names in the genealogy, I mean, they're in the category of be like this person. How do they get like, be like Abraham, the father of two nations? If I tried to be like Abraham and the father of two nations, I'd be in trouble, right? Oh, you know, you go to Sunday school, be like Moses, be like this one. You don't want to be like those dudes, be like King David. He took Goliath down. He also took some other things down too. Why are some of their names in the hall of faith as pillars of godless? It isn't them. It isn't their ability. They're held together and held up because of the promise of God to them that they would be a blessed people because of the redemption of God, redemption of God because of the result of the genealogy, because of the promise of a coming Savior and Redeemer, Lord, who would make their lives true, mean something, be made better by his grace. This is the promise we need. To give hope to our genealogies, to, to our perfections and, and, and lack of human pedigree. We need a promise to, to give us a worth that this world cannot take away and can't give. We need an imputed, a, a given worth that must come from someone else. We need the promise of Christ. We need Jesus in our genealogy. Do you know the name? S.E. May Williams? What about Strom Thurmond? Sure. It has been recently confirmed, well, not recently, but a few years ago, confirmed that this African-American woman is the daughter of the late senator and past governor of South Carolina, Strom Thurmond. This woman lived in obscurity. And among people in South Carolina, especially African-Americans, there were whispers of infidelity. My dad was like, yes, Strom Thurmond got a black daughter. Really? How y'all know? Everybody knows. There were whispers of, of shame in her life as a pre-civil rights African-American. She and her mother endured the disgrace and disdain of a country that largely hated her. She even had a biological father in Strom Thurmond who voted for segregationist policy. And for his career, she held his secret safe. And now that silence has been broken and the truth of the scent known, this, known and this woman has broken out of obscurity. And her family lays claim, lays claim to a crucial place in history. Let me tell you something. It was not the late great Strom who fathered a child at 22 years old with a 16-year-old maid that is a family redeemer here. But it is the unknown, now known, Essie Mae Williams who found it not wrong to associate herself with a known segregationist who wanted his career more than her. Of a, in today's laws, a, a, a statutory thing, you know, who worked to cover his sin with success. It was her behavior that has, his, has liberated this family from its lies and covered shame, who has come forward, as interviews suggest, not to justify the behavior of her descendant, but to declare that her liberation is now there. Our Lord has connected himself to the genealogy of those who would call him Savior. And the scripture tells us Jesus did not think it robbery or wrong or a mistake for the sake of his God pedigree, to his divine uppityness, to his name, to his loyal standing, to his respect, to his ability to flex as the Lord, to acquaint, to, to hang out, to, to be associated and join in with the family of 
for humanity. Jesus didn't think it was wrong to bind himself with the generations of mankind with, with our problems and our torn up pedigree, with our ambiguities, with our shortcomings, to, to turn them, to, to get this, through some of you, join himself with your family. Yet you're messed up, damaged and damaging, destructive family paths, and it's unmentionable and busted mess to change them and you and me and to redeem race of people into a people of promise. You know what most of us hate to hear? You just like your mama. Or you just like your daddy, right? If I want to get under Kelly's skin, if we have a disagreement, all I have to do to get it to the next level... You acted like your mama. Ooh, Lord. Well, here's what is good about being just like the people before you, the redeeming thing. Jesus is promising to take on our mess to be just like us in wearing our brokenness. Our debts, our issues actually pass on to him like he is the last relative and the line who has to take all the crap, and he does, and he handles it. And like the last relative, to live for you and me by doing it right for us, he changes who we are and will be forever. And by doing so and putting himself in the genealogy of you and me, he turns those things that were once whispers of shame into shouts of joy. Now, it's no longer about Rahab the prostitute, but what joy. God and Jesus Christ came to redeem those like Rahab who are trapped in a family and reputation of shameful sin that is no more about the shame of kings who, who lived in exile, but now shouts of joy that God and Christ has come to free those who are trapped in intolerable circumstances. Judah and Tamar's story is no longer a whisper of, of the shame of incest, but now a shout of joy that Jesus has come to renew the mess and offspring and results and curse of familiar sin. Now the whispers of shame of having people who are deemed by birth less dignified like Ruth have now become shouts of joy for he has come to renew us and redeem us. You're twisted and off tone an off-color family history just with the addition of Christ can be turned into a melody of joy. I know y'all are living under a lot of shame. I know y'all will have to deal with a lot of shame possibly when things come up and one day you're sitting in that council chair and you realize what mess you're dealing with. Shame is no match. For what Christ, the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ brings in the joy he gives, not that there won't be some damage, not that there won't be pain, but his joy is a way to get over and pass and through and even healed from some of the pain. This genealogy, like your own, becomes the Magna Carta of who can be saved and what can be healed. And what is it saying? Anything and everyone in any kind of family, in any kind of shameful thing that happened to you, Christ can handle. Close with this. I may have told you guys this before, but my father never knew his father, though he knew who he was. 
They lived in the same city and probably passed each other on the streets without acknowledgement. My dad even taught his brothers and sisters in school. And they didn't know him. He was just Mr. Brown, the band teacher. And the tension of his knowing them and they not knowing who he was beyond Mr. Brown the Bandrick. You know, there was the isolation of being recognized as the older brother whispered with the shame of disconnection. My dad even told me that, that he used to, in the night, you know, when, like some of y'all like to keep your blinds open at night. You can see right in, some of y'all. And my dad used to stand up in the night. And he would look into his biological father's house with all his brothers and sisters sitting around a table, standing across the street, looking in, dreaming about being at that table, dreaming about being in just to make the story worse. The, my, the man my grandmother married, the only man I know is my grandfather, at the time said, my dad couldn't come live with them. And I asked him, Daddy, why didn't you just knock on the door? He said, I was ashamed. I was like a loss as a man looking for a greater identity for healing, for reconciliation with my father. But the whispers of rejection and fear and being seen as the, as the black spot in the room of legitimate children scared me off. Well, the story has a happy ending, just like the genealogy. The wife of his father, after the death of, his bi of my biological grandfather, invited them all in to meet each other, and redemption and reconciliation took place. He had brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and a family that loved him, who completed his heritage, who gave clarity to his person. The shout of joy of being reconciled and in relationship with his family now drown out. The whispers of condemnation, of, of not being wanted, of a being a man without a father. As a matter of fact, the picture of my biological grandfather sits proudly in black and white on the table in our hallway. And now me and my children have a redeemed heritage of which there is no shame in the light of God's redeeming joy. Some of you, I like my father on the outside looking in. Looking in at a life that could have been looking in on a life that could be clean and clear and forgiven, on the outside of a relationship with the Heavenly Father that you are separated from because of whispers that say He could not love you. You are too stained. You, you are nothing. You, you are a failure. The Lord sent Jesus as the kinsman redeemer to bring our lives out of the cold, out of the dark, out of the rejected shame, to be renewed and united and healed and made known and connected forever to the joy as becomes children of God in a new family, the family of God. This holiday season, when you go home, when you reminded in mess, let your hearts join the saints who have gone before with all the hosts of heaven. Let your whispers of shame become only a line whose chorus Shouts of Jesus' redeeming joy.